All right, our children are being dismissed at this time. If you would, join me, Romans chapter 8. I appreciate the song service this morning. It should flow very well right on into what we're going to be preaching on. Uh, Romans chapter 8, two weeks ago, uh, we began in that bedrock of the faith, Romans eight twenty-eight, and we preached on that verse, and last week we preached on verse 29, but only about four or five words, so really in a sense we've been on verses 28, 29, and 30 for three weeks counting today. And usually I do a very long introduction, uh, sometimes a whole lot of review. I'll do a little bit of review in a moment. But I want us to get right into this same text, okay? I realize we're at a pace now of one verse per sermon. We're not going to keep doing that. Uh, Let's see, next week, Lord willing, we'll have about four or five verses. I think that's the plan that the Lord has. We'll see. Then after that, probably another four or five verses And then we'll finish out chapter 8. You know, a lot of preachers would say Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all of the Scripture. And there's two dominant themes, and that's the security of the believer and the work of the Holy Spirit, and those are tied together. So today, you should see those same themes coming in loud and clear as we again look uh, one more time, Romans 8, 28 to 30. Having just said what we don't know, we don't even know how to pray because we don't know the will of God. We don't know it fully in its details. But Paul's going to give us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a glimpse of what we do know is the will of God. There's a lot of authority in verse 28, 29, and 30. Your attitude, how we approach these verses, is the key to how it's going to be received by you today. God's Word says, And we know, we know, This is settled. We know that for those who love God, and let me say as I've said a couple of times, a couple of weeks now, not everybody who says they love God, love God. Saying you love God doesn't mean you love God. You can't say you love God if you've never received His Son, Jesus. You don't love God if you're rejecting Jesus. You can't honestly say you really love God if as He gives us His commands, you just break those on purpose all the time. That's no love for God. You can't say you love God if you hate Christians who are in the image of God. 1 John says you can't do that. But this promise is for those who love God. What's the promise? This is big. This is the Bible. All things work together for good. All things. The thing you see, that's obviously good. The thing you think that could never be good when it's all worked together. Give a whole sermon to that already. It's going to be for good, not creature comfort, not feeling good. It's not all about health and wealth. It's eternal good. That's settled. That's going to happen. Again, for those that love God. And here's another classification. Same group of people, one more description. For those who are called according to his purpose. How can Paul make such grand statements a bedrock of our faith? Is it writing on what we're going to do? No, verse 29 tells the reason why. It's the first word, for. That's guaranteed, verse 28, it's guaranteed all things are going to work together for good to those that fit those two categories. For, because, and then you're going to see eight things God does. Eight times, not eight things, I'm sorry. Eight times he's going to use this word, he, he, God did this, God did this. That's why verse 28 is so certain. For, 
those whom he foreknew. Notice God's doing this. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's why verse 28 is true. In order that he, the Son, might be the firstborn. Firstborn here does not mean like God the Father creates and makes Jesus, and then Jesus creates everything. Firstborn in the Jewish culture means the top rank, the highest rank, the arch of it all. So here's what we see is this purpose, that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Could I, I will not harm the verse by saying this. All the ones he predestined, he will call. And back to the verse, those whom he called, he also justified. So in other words, all the ones he foreknew, he predestined. All the ones he predestined, all of them he called. And all of the ones he called are justified. And those whom, back to the verse, those whom he justified, he also glorified. All the called end up justified. All the justified end up glorified. That's why we believe in eternal. Be listening. You say, why do you guys believe that once a person really has obtained salvation, not just everybody who says they're a Christian, but the ones who really have obtained salvation, why do you think they can never lose it? Be really listening today. You're going to get some clues and be listening next week and the following week, Lord willing. You should be like, okay, now I get it. Now I know why. Here we just saw some of the reasons. Preached a whole sermon on verse 28. Preached a whole sermon last week on those whom he foreknew. And there's way too many terms here. I've got to move on from this passage. You just saw five huge words. And I don't have time to deal with them all. But can I say this? I spent about three months on one of those words. I realize not all of you were here. So I'm going to wrap up three months of sermons in about one minute. You ready? Justification. You say, that's one of those last words. This is key. You say, what is that whole justification? If you'll picture, you've seen the scales of justice. One of these days, it's going to be like that. All of us are going to give an account to a holy God. And he's going to judge our life. And it is going to be, as it were, a scales of justice. And on one side is going to be every command of God. It's coming. You need to get ready for it. It is coming. All the things God says do not do. All the things God says to do. By the way, we usually focus on the do nots. But all the to do's are all on this side. This is the commandment of God. Here's what's going to happen. And the scale is going to go way down like that. Now, to get to heaven, all you have to do is get you and all your righteousness, gather it all up, jump on the other side, and if you can balance it out, you, my friend, get to go to heaven. Now here's the catch. If you have ever in one time in your life broken any of these commands, you're ruined. So if you have ever taken the name of the Lord in vain, if you've ever said, oh my God, good Lord, taken the name of Jesus in vain, well, I didn't mean it, that's what in vain means. If you've ever done that, if you've ever told one lie, you say, I've never told a lie, you just lied <laughs> to yourself. So what I'm telling you is you say, by what you just said, you, and by the way, I'm going over one minute, We don't have a chance. Right, here's justification. You want to see it? Here it is. God, I don't have any righteousness. 
But if I'm understanding your word correctly, what Jesus did on the cross, he took all the punishment for my sin. And if I invite him, he will come on the scale with me, giving me all of his righteousness. That's justification. It's all it is. Jesus, please, can I have your righteousness? Please forgive me of my sins. I need your right. And Jesus says, you invite me, I will jump on the scale, and I promise you, he's righteous enough to balance out all the laws of God. He took all the punishment, and then he wraps his righteousness around you. And then God the Father, who's the judge, says, I declare you righteous, not because you've never sinned, but because I'm giving you Jesus' righteousness by faith. There's justification there. We hit three months in two minutes. Now, with that in mind, obviously we can't hit all of these things again. So I've got three thoughts. And honestly, usually I come up here thinking, one of the thoughts, I like three. One of the thoughts, this is the main one. I've got to tell you, there is not one that's like less than the others. All three of these are very, very important this morning. Please get them. I'm going to probably spend the most time on the second one, and the second most time on the first one, and then the third one's really quick. Three thoughts as we wrap up this three great verses. First thought, here it is. God's purpose for creation is declared. God's purpose for creation is declared. I love Romans 8, 28. And most people, when we read that, we see this wonderful promise that all things are going to work out together for good. Basically, if I could sum it up for those who believed in Jesus, for those who've been justified, everything's going to work out for their good. And man, we think that's the main thing of this passage. Listen, that is not the main thing of this passage. You say, what is it? I've asked Miss Renee, and she's helped us out. Could we have that screen that talks about uh, the purpose of God? I, I hope we have that. So there's a screen uh, that has the purpose. Yes, look at this. So if you want to say, Jeff, what's your interpretation of Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30? Here it is on the screen. Notice, what is the main thing is the purpose of God. That's the main thing. What's verse 28, 29, 30 all about? It's this thing that God has willed. God has purposed. He has a plan. That's the main thing. By the way, every font, every color on this screen is important. What's the biggest is the most important thing. And then you see two things are in red. Those are the purpose of God explained to us in the passage. This is how I'm going to preach this today. So the purpose of God's the main thing. What is it? If you'll even notice, the size of the font is slightly different. Now, the two things that are in red, those are both the purpose of God, but one's slightly bigger than the other one. So I'm going to propose to you the main thing, if we were to describe the purpose of God, God's already determined that Christ will be the firstborn among many brethren. And then off of that, also part of the purpose of God, but we could say secondary or an offshoot, a byproduct of that, believers, that's me, I know I'm one, I hope you're one, believers will be conformed to the image of God. Now we have this line and we have these five words and you'll notice that I've supplied one, ver- one word that I don't think harms the text and I think is implied by the word predestined and all the descriptions around it. That's one thought. You see that? Believers conform to the image of God and you have a line that's kind of like the thought that goes together with all those. So what is believers being conformed? How does that happen? It starts with those who are foreknown by God are going to be, they are predestined and then they are called and those that are called are justified and those that are justified, again, I'm inserting this idea, sanctified. Now you're sitting here saying, oh man, there's a lot of theology. He did talk about the justification. I kind of remember that whole scales, Jesus coming on there. What is this sanctified? Remind me again. If in your mind you will take an arrow from the word sanctified and draw it around up to believers conform to Christ. That's all that is. 
And then ultimately, that word sanctified flows into its completed product of glorified. So those two things on the bottom line, those are basically the same. One starts in this life and the other is in the next life. And all those six blue words, or black words, I'm not sure what color that is, those are describing that secondary thing, believers being conformed to the image of God. Help me out real quick. We have one thing that we do in the process of salvation. Listen, it's one word, five letters. What's our part in salvation? Somebody said it over here. Faith. Where does faith fit on this scale? You see that? You have the foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and then starts in this life, sanctified, that we start becoming conformed to the image of Christ, ultimately being glorified. Where does faith fall on this list? You say it falls right after the word. Nobody's confident. After, I think I heard called. See that? So he calls. We have faith. Justified. See that? You say, well, why didn't Paul include justified? Because this is not about us here. This is all about what God is doing. This is a God's eye view of his purpose. By the way, this is the plan of God. That's my interpretation. Probably nobody will want it. If you want a copy of that, I, had, I did have it printed out. So that's my interpretation. That's how I'm going to preach the passage. But here's what I want to do. We're going to get to that, that largest red font. But first, let's start with the secondary. What is God's purpose declared for creation? Number one, it's in two parts here. God's individual plan is our Christ-likeness. So God has an individual literally tailored to each one of us to make us more like Christ. That's God's individual plan. Now, I have several passages of Scripture today that I need to hit, and we're going to try to hit them quickly. I'm not going to get bogged down in them. Ephesians chapter 1, if you'd like to follow along. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read three or four verses here. Here we go. Ephesians chapter number 1. Paul tells the Ephesian church, Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ. That's where you get saved. You have to be placed in Christ. That way everything that Christ does counts for you because you're in him. He died for your sins. So it's like you died already for your sins. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So since we have all these blessings, Paul says, Blessed be God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as, verse 4, he, this goes back to last week, right? Even as he chose us, he chose us in him, the idea in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. Yes, I got saved. Yes, I had faith in 1979, June. That's my story. But he chose me before the foundation of the world. Why? He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Here comes, this sounds like Romans 8. According to the purpose of his will, watch verse 6, it's important, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the, capital B, beloved, in the Son. There's two phrases, I've got to hit it and move quick. You should see a phrase in verse number 4 and there's a phrase in verse number 6 I want to key on for just a moment. This is God's individual plan, our Christ likeness. Here it comes. 
God chose us, why? So that we should be holy and blameless. He chose us that we will be holy and blameless and that all of that process will be, according to verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. So this work of God in us is going to be to the praise of His glorious grace. Everyone's going to end up praising the glorious grace of God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, I mentioned the word grace, and if we were to poll you, you might say something like this. Jeff, yes, right. God's grace is where he forgives us of our sin and lets us go to heaven. Absolutely, that is God's grace. But wait, there's more. If you'll act now, we're going to double the offer, offer at no extra charge. And you don't even have to pay separate shipping and handling or an extra fee. Because there's no fee to this. It's all free. You say, what's the extra thing? Grace, guys, is not only God forgiving us of our sin and letting us go to heaven, but grace is actually God's gift of spiritual enablement. Listen, spiritual enablement in his people to defeat sin. That's why God chose us that we will be holy and blameless before him, and it's going to result in the praise of his glorious grace so that when it's all said and done, everyone's going to be praising the Lord. Can you believe it? He lets even sinners, but the big thing, can you see the change? Look what God's grace has done in their life. Now, I mention that for this reason. Guys, if our lives never change, how is God's grace glorified by that? If we just live the rest of our life wallowing in sin, It's not going to happen. We're never perfect in this life, but God does not let us wallow in sin. So I'm here to tell you that God is working about individual plan for you and me to become more like Christ. So here's our question. Since believers, if I could word it that way, since believers are being conformed to the image of Christ, Jeff, what's that going to look like? Listen carefully. What should I expect to happen in my life? What's, how will I know it's happening? How will I know that I really am a Christian? Guys, here's what we need to do. We need to look at the life of Christ. This would be like a, a whole year study. I'm going to boil it down in just a few moments. I don't have time to list like 25 characteristics about Jesus, but I want to hit a few. So if you say, what should I be looking to happen in my own life? Look at the life of Christ in the scriptures, and here's what you should expect to start happening. How could we describe Jesus? Number one, we could describe him with the word holy. Was Jesus tempted to sin? Yes. Are we tempted to sin? Yes. He never sinned, not even one time. And the Bible says we're being conformed to his image, so we're becoming like literally an image bearer. We are looking more and more like Jesus. We're image bearers. Hey, look, we're like him. So he was tempted to sin, but never sinned. And we're tempted to sin, but Christian, here's what you should expect. The longer you live, the longer you've been walking with Christ, the less sin, the more victory over sin that you see in your life. You have a reference there, Galatians chapter 5. So, Jeff, this is the fruits of the Spirit. Why in the world would you be using this uh, to describe the Christian uh, being like Christ? Galatians chapter 5, look at verse number 22, 23. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to use these. Here's why. Because the Spirit that is in us... When we get saved, God's Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of God, but he's also called the Spirit of Christ. In other words, Christ, his Spirit comes in us, making us like Christ. What's that going to look like? Every word, every descriptive word here could be a description of Jesus while on earth. Look at this list, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
Jesus was loving. Jesus is loving. Joy. The fruit of the Spirit. If you want a description, what was Jesus like on earth? He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief because of sin and being the sin bearer, taking our sins away, and because he knows everything. He knows the effect of sin. He has the shadow of the cross over him. But listen carefully. Jesus was a joyous person. People were not repelled by him. People were magnetic toward him. He was a joyous person. Jesus is joyous. He's loving. He's joyous. He's peaceful. You say, I have no peace in my life. Well, expect peace to start coming if you're a Christian. He was patient. He endured difficult people, difficult circumstances. He was kind. Not just not mean. He's kind. Goodness. Faithfulness. You say, I'm not very faithful in my Christianity. If you're a Christian, you are going to be faithful because God's going to be conforming you to be like Christ. Gentleness. Self-control. You say, I have no self-control. I just can't help it. If you're a Christian, you're going to get self-control. The longer you live the Christian life, it's going to happen. How could we describe Christ? We could describe him by the word forgiving. Forgiving. He goes around telling people, thy sins be forgiven thee. Literally, the person's sins because Jesus is God was against him. Even on the cross, he tells the Father, Father, forgive them. He's a forgiving person. Christian, listen. You say, I'm having a real hard time forgiving. You're going to learn to forgive. You're going to You say, I can just never forgive. I've got somebody 25, 30 years ago that did something. I cannot forgive them. I'm going to ask you a serious question. Are you sure you're a Christian? Because what we're going to look at today, the Bible says, we're going to become more like Christ. You're like, no, 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 Jeff. It says we, we have a chance. We might become more like Christ. We'll look at that in a moment. He's a forgiving person. Uh, we could go on and on. I'll hit one more description of Christ. He's a person who lived on a mission of purpose. He lived on the mission of purpose. What was his mission? The will of the Father. Whatever the Father wanted, that's what, how Christ lived. Literally, Jesus laid aside his will and took up the will of God the Father. A couple of verses we'll have on the screen. John 6, verse 38. Jesus says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And the next one in Matthew 26, 39, even to the point of being in the garden of Gethsemane, he goes with his 11 disciples. Judas is off betraying him. And then Jesus has 11. He tells eight of them, y'all stay here. You three come on with me. And then Peter, James, and John, you guys stay here. And he begins to be very sorrowful, very grievous in his spirit because the cross is literally hours away and being on trial and all of those things and the scourging and the sin and the shame. He goes a little bit further from them and the Bible says he prayed this way. I think this is the best example of a biblical prayer in the New Testament. You say, seriously? What? How's, how's this the best example? Look at it. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father. So his prayers to the father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Here's a great example of of prayer. He's praying to the Father. He's expressing his desire. Watch this. I have a desire. Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to become sin. I I am repulsed by sin. I don't want to be separated from you. We're one. We've always been one. Eternity, we're one. I don't want to be, you're going to turn your back on me. And the shame of it. If there's any other way, nevertheless, not as I will. That's a great prayer. God, here's my request. I'd really love it. Nevertheless, not my will. I want your will to be done. That's how Jesus lived. 
Christian, have you yet found your purpose? By the way, if you think your purpose is something, when you say, yeah, this is my purpose, and you're real comfortable in it, and it's your strong suit, that may be part of your purpose. That's not all of it. I'll give you a hint. Your purpose would scare you if you knew what it was. Your purpose will make you really nervous. Well, I can't. I don't know that I'm the, I, I, that's not, I can't do that. That's God's purpose. He's going to do some great things in all of you. Secondly, and very quickly, oh, nope, I'm sorry, I've got to hit one more thought. Us being image bearers of Christ begins now. It's happening right now. This morning's message is part of it. But ultimately, as he, the Holy Spirit is changing your character, He's changing your conduct, He's making you day-to-day more forgiving, more loving, more joyous, more peaceful, all those descriptions more on purpose, living life, more getting victory over sin, when all those things are happening. Ultimately, though, you're never going to become fully like Christ in this life, and then you're going to come to the end of this life, watch, where you're going to leave behind this body that loves to sin. And then you're going to go be with God. You say, then, do I get, as I get rid of this body, do I now get my glorified body so that I'm fully an image bearer so that I now no longer sin, but I also have a body like his? Not quite yet. You say, seriously? Oh, no. If you have loved ones who are believers in Jesus and they've already gone on to heaven, they don't have their body yet. Now, by the way, it's way better than the life we're living here, so don't be discouraged. But I thought, no, no, no. They're having it way better than us here, I promise you. But they do long for a body, and they don't have it yet. You say, how do you know this? 1 John chapter 1. Would you look at that? I think it's on our screen. 1 John chapter 3. Look what the Bible says. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears. So it's not when we go there in death... We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Watch Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20 and 21. Watch this. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven. And from it, from heaven, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, get it, when he comes, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So to be clear, say, when do we get these glorified bodies so that we are fully image bearers of Christ? It's when Christ comes back to rapture those who are here. And by the way, I'd, I'd, I'm talking from the perspective of we're dead. I'd love it if we didn't ever make that. I'd love it if he just raptures us out. And if I don't finish this sentence before the rapture occurs, then we will receive a glorified body. But it didn't happen then, so maybe the next sentence I won't finish it. And then we'll get a glorified body, boom, like that fast, and it's gone. And uh, that'd be wonderful. But it didn't happen that time. But it's going to happen one of these times. Somebody's going to be caught mid-sentence, and we're going to have a glorified body. And we'll be fully image bearers of Christ. So we're still on the first point, but I want to quickly hit this second thought. And this one's much quicker. What's the master plan of God? The master plan of God is Christ's exaltation. Well, I'm finding my little markers this morning, so I'm just going to scrap them all. I've got so many little markers on passages that are also very close together. Would you go to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2. We sang about it literally just a moment ago. So, Jeff, what is this great master plan of God? So, a while ago, we had this screen up. The purpose of God. What's the purpose of God? That Christ will be the firstborn among many brethren. And part of that is that those who are the many brethren will be made and conformed to his image. Listen carefully before we read this passage. You want to know what happened? Listen. In eternity past, there was God. One God, Father, Son, Spirit. No one else existed. And God, Father, Son, Spirit, one God determined he would enlarge the family. We will enlarge the family. And we're going to bring in all the people that we will save. Verse, chapter number 2 of Philippians. Verse number 8, it's about Jesus. Here's the ultimate plan of God. And being found in human form, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the one who's going to be the firstborn among many brethren. Being found in human form, God literally became a man. He really was a man, 100% man, 100% God. You say, that doesn't add up. I know, it's like last week's message on foreknowledge. It's way over our head, right? Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's this title. To the glory of God the Father. That's what God the Father has purposed. Back to Romans chapter 8, verse number 18. I want to make a quick point here. Romans 8, 18. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. He's not saying they're not difficult. He's not saying they're not hard. They are hard. He says, I consider. By the way, he's seen the third heaven. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the ultimate purpose of God. Jesus is the Son of God, who's the Christ, the anointed Messiah, who comes as the Savior, and all these many brethren, and even those that opposed Him, will confess Him as Lord, and ultimately it will be to His exaltation, His glory, and the glory of God the Father. Guys, I just want you to go home. When you, when you get a chance, think about verse 18. I want to give you a hint. If you're like me, most of us, if we were to rank the blessings of salvation, here's what we would do. We'd say something like this. Well, the greatest blessing of salvation is you don't have to go to hell for eternity. And then second to that is you get to live in heaven for eternity. And then third, (coughs) excuse me, is you get to live with God in this life. I would definitely put that third one third, as great as it is. By the way, I don't know how people live without God in their life. I love having God in my life. But I'm going to tell you, I think the Bible hints that those top two could be flipped. You say, Jeff, I really believe the greatest thing about salvation is that you don't have to go to hell. That is a great benefit, but I believe it's secondary. I think when we get to heaven and we realize what a glory it is that we get to live for eternity as image bearers with Christ, like Christ, First Peter uh, Second Peter even talks about us becoming partakers of the divine nature. I don't even know what that means. I know we don't become God, but it's way more than we think. I'm telling you, when we get there, we're going to realize this is so good. Its goodness is even greater than hell's horribleness.
That's what he's trying to tell us. It's the purpose of God. Number two this morning. As we think back to Romans 8, I'm going to make a pretty bold statement. And by the way, I've told you to be listening for eternal security in these verses. You'll see from this statement why I believe in eternal security is one reason. Here it comes. God's success in predestination is guaranteed. God's success in predestination is guaranteed. The Bible says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Listen to that again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Last week we had a very heavy message, one that is very controversial. I'm going to repeat a paragraph. I'm going to repeat almost the whole paragraph. Many people get very emotional over the word predestination. That's what I find. Predestination? You're not one of those, are you? And we talked about how um, the word's in the Bible, guys. You, you, You can't just dodge it. But as I said last week, I honestly believe if we understood the concepts that are at play in here, what we would find is the real rub to our human, American, thinking is not the word predestination. It gets a bad rap. It's the word foreknowledge and its sister word in chapter 9, election. Taste that. You say, why is that? Because foreknowledge and election deals with who God foreloved, who God foreordained would be called and justified and glorified. So these, really, foreknowledge and election, these are the emotional terms. And I think a lot of people kind of misapply their anger at predestination. You say, then why would predestination not be the angry term? If you think you can lose your salvation, then yes, predestination is going to really rub you the wrong way. But if you say, I believe in eternal security. I believe you can never lose real salvation once you've had it. When God says, I'm going to give you eternal life, he really meant it. Well, then you should have no problem with predestination. Why is that? Predestination, so foreknowledge is about who. That's the one we get very emotional about. Predestination is what. What's going to happen to these people? So Christian, if I could ask you this. Do you realize what verse 29 says about you? Christian, listen. If I could come around one by one. Okay, start here with Sonia. Sonia, do you realize realize what verse 29 says about you? Victor, do you know what verse 29 says about you? I don't know, what is it? It's a guarantee from God you will be conformed to the image of Christ. You say, how is that? So what I I don't want us to do this. I don't want us to hear predestination, get emotional, and chuck it. I don't want to talk about it. No, latch on to this, Christian. Here's why. Verse 29 in the word predestination is a weighty guarantee. If you're a true believer, you will become more like Christ. You say, why is that? Because the destination of Christ-likeness happening in you, being an image bearer of Christ, is already predetermined. It is pre-settled. I'll give you this. We fail. But God cannot fail. I'll say it again. We fail. But Jeff, what if we, Christians, we fail, God cannot fail you will never be fully like Christ in this life but if you ever really do put your faith and trust in Christ he puts you on a path of righteousness that is guaranteed you end up 
becoming more and more like Christ until ultimately you leave this body behind with its sin. You go to be with the Lord, your soul, and spirit. And at the point of the rapture, then you get your glorified body that surely does not sin and you become a full image bearer of Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 very quickly. Ephesians 2. I want us to see this. It's important. I'm going to have two passages. I'm not going to spend long on them. You better hurry because I'm not spending long on them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4. So here we are dead in our sins. Dead. Dead things don't make decisions, we said last week. So we don't go to God. He always comes to us. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, he has lots of it, because of the great love, not just love, but the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christian, you ought to internalize this. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, by grace you've been saved, by grace you've been saved. Subtly he slides that in there. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Again, Paul's using terms and and voices and tenses as though this is... Y'all think I'm here in Anderson. You think I'm here today. And in a way I am. I'll tell you where I'm really at. I'm at the right hand of God in Jesus right now, according to Ephesians 2. And I just lost some of you, but keep hanging with us. Verse number 7. Christian, why is he doing this? So that in, Christians, this is you. So that in the coming ages, he might show, and I, I had to box this word, the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness immeasurable. You say, i got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen when we get to heaven. You have no idea what's coming. That's why I say being an image bearer with Christ in heaven, as great as it is, is even greater in its greatness than going to hell is horrible in its horribleness. This is greater. Why? Because we're going to see. It's going to be bestowed on us. The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In those two famous verses, I'm heading to verse 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Right, faith. I was smarter than everybody else that night. And that's why I chose careful By grace, grace gift. He didn't have to save you. He doesn't have to save anyone. By grace, you've been saved through faith. You did believe. And this faith is the idea, this grace, this salvation. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 10. I'm going to hit it and I'm going to go fast. You ready? For we are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, we're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God, Christian, listen, he's prepared this beforehand, that we should walk in them. It's not that we should walk in them. You should. God's kind of got these good works. You should do them. That's not the tone here. The tone here is he's already prepared these good works in eternity past that you should walk in them. Can I say it this way? You will walk in them. You will. God's success and predestination is guaranteed. It's going to happen. Quickly, Second Peter. I want to hit four verses this time. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, verse 1. I'm going to go fast. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Simeon, Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Who's he writing to? To those who have obtained, not those that have achieved a faith, those who've obtained, it was given to him, obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Peter's like, man, I'm Jewish, and I know you guys look at me as the greatest of the, the apostles, but, man, our faith's the exact same. Who are you writing to, Peter? To those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave it, it's by him. 
May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How will that come to us, Peter? In the knowledge of God. In the knowledge. Learn more knowledge about God. That's where the grace and the peace comes from. Verse 3. This is key. Here it is. You say, Jeff, how in the world can you say that it's guaranteed? Verse 3. His divine power has, past tense, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So if I could start verse 4 by going back to verse 3. His divine power, verse 4, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them, through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Did you see what verse 3 says? His divine power, (coughs) excuse me, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you want to write this down. As a Christian, the day you got saved, literally the moment you got saved, you received everything you need, literally every single ingredient you need to live a godly life. So hold on, Jeff. What about the new believer in China that 12 hours ago met in a little home and they had to do it in secret and they met around one little light bulb and somebody who doesn't even have a study Bible, much less commentaries, is trying to lead the group in, spirit, in their spiritual walk uh, and he only has like a few books of the Bible. He doesn't have the whole thing. You can't say that they have everything that they need. The Bible says right here in chapter, in chapter 1 verse 3, when you got saved, you got everything you needed for eternal life. I'm sorry, not for eternal life, but for a godly life. You have all the ingredients that are needed. And I don't have time to develop that, so here's what I want to do. We just looked at Ephesians 2. God's foreordained, prepared beforehand, good works that you should walk in them. Romans 8, he's predestined, you'll be conformed. 2 Peter chapter 1, you got everything you need already. So these are two questions that have nagged at me for years. I'm going to offer them to you. You ready? Two questions. Number one. Jeff, let's just go with your little theory all right, that's guaranteed. Since the promises of God in Romans 8, Ephesians 2, and 2 Peter 1 are, as you say, certain to occur, we're going to become like Christ. You ready for the question? Then do we as Christians even need to do anything? You're saying it's going to happen? I'm telling you it's going to happen. So we don't need to do anything? And the second question is this. If, as you say, it's going to happen then why is the New Testament filled with exhortations for Christians to live godly lives if it's going to happen? So I actually thought about that. Uh, um, the other day I wrote down, I was flipping through, and I decided to go back to Matthew chapter 1. And I thought, I'm just going to look and look for exhortations that the Scripture gives. Why does the Scriptures keep giving these exhortations? You say, Jeff, did you find any exhortations for Christians to live by? Yeah, I didn't have to leave hardly but six chapters, and I found 15 things. Do you understand the premise of my question? If this is guaranteed to happen, it's certain and sure, predestination, we're going to become more like Christ, then do we even need to do anything? And why in the world does the Bible have all these commands, demands, exhortations, whatever you want to call them? Why are they even in there if it's going to happen? I found some examples. The Bible says, follow Christ. Again, six chapters and one verse of chapter 7. I found 15 things. Follow Christ. 
The Bible calls for us, bear fruit of repentance. Don't just say you became a Christian. Bear fruit. Let your life show it. Rejoice. Do not be angry with your brother. Do not lust. I didn't touch her. Don't lust. Do not divorce. Don't separate what God puts together. Do not swear. Your words matter. Turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. Love your enemies. Here's give. Give in secret. Don't tell everybody how much you gave or what you gave. But give. Pray. Forgive. Lay up treasures. Can y'all see? I've got a lot of preaching to do over the next 20 years. No, 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 Jeff. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. According to your point today. Don't worry. I don't even know why it's in the Bible. Don't be anxious. Oh, no, no, no. I'm the worrier in the family. It's my job. That's what I do. Okay, it's sin. (laughs) Just saying. I'm the sinner. I'm the designated sinner. (laughs) And, of course, chapter 7 starts with that do not judge. Why are these even in here? Would you let your eyes, if you have your Bible, I do want you to follow. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Flip over Colossians 2. One verse. Colossians 2. I just want you to see it. So here's my two questions. If it's going to happen, do we even need to do anything? And then why in the world is the Bible so full of all these exhortations? Look at chapter 2 of Colossians, verse number 6. Therefore, Paul says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Let me read it again. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ, so walk. Help me out. How did you receive Christ? Oh, by the way, repeat word. There's your hint. How did you receive Christ? By faith. Paul says the same way you received Christ. Well, that was only, I just, by faith, received Him. Walk the Christian life. How? By faith. So when the Bible says in Romans 6, sin is not your master. Christian, here's how you're going to become more and more like Christ. Because he has your pastor lead you through Romans chapter 6 and tell you, sin is not your master. So whatever it is, you say, but some of those things, those 15 things in that list, that's me. You need to talk to those things and say, you are not my master anymore. God's word has promised me. And I'm going to live the Christian life the same way I began it. I received Christ by faith. And now I'm going to live the Christian life by faith, believing God's promise. And in that process, you will become more and more like Christ. It's going to happen. That's what I came to tell you. Titus chapter 3, look at this. Oh, by the way, uh, I need, uh, yes, can we have that note there? Go ahead and put that next note. I forgot to hit this. So just as you receive Christ, what's our note? In salvation, it is imperative that we put our faith in Christ. You have to. You have to put your faith in Christ. Man, we hit that last week. So Jeff, last week you talked about that chosen and foreknowledge and election. If you heard that, you should have also heard me hit this 20 times, if you're going to heaven, it is, it is on your end, it is because you put your faith and trust in Jesus one day. No one in here should ever say, well, um, if I'm chosen and elect, then I won't even have to know. You must put your faith and trust in God. It is imperative. Likewise, sanctification also occurs, how? As we respond to God in faith. If I could say it this way, I don't turn my phone off anymore. I got burned by that about a year ago. But you know when you cut your phone off at night and you wake up and it's like, oh, upgrade. There was an update occurred while you were asleep, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. That's not how you become a better Christian. You don't, okay, 
Sanctification, becoming, being conformed to the image of Christ does not happen by osmosis. If I just walk around, maybe if I sleep with my Bible under my pillow, then that's how I'm sanctified. No, it's not. You will not. This will never happen. Your family will not hear you in the kitchen one morning. What got into you? I got the joy upgrade last night. It's good to go. What? Oh, yeah, I went to bed bitter, woke up joyous, got the download, sanctifications, all right, on, right on schedule. You're not going to wake up on some random Tuesday and, hey, yeah, is Jeff, Bartley, yeah, yeah, Listen, I've been hating your guts for six years, but just last night, I got, I got the forgiveness download, man, I really do forgive. I know I told you that before, but today I really mean it. Got it, okay, good. You say, if that's not how it happens, how's it going to happen? It'll happen as you hear God and respond in faith. That's how you say, that sounds kind of... Titus chapter 3, verse number 8. Paul tells Pastor Titus, a young man, Paul trained him. Paul says, listen, to the church that Titus was a preacher of, watch this. Titus, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for the, for the people. Did you catch what he's saying? Titus, keep preaching, be killing sin. Titus, keep preaching, do good works. No, no, no. God, they're going to do the good works. You've already, yeah, yeah. You preaching it to them is part of the plan. Preach to be busy accomplishing the good works. Would you go back with me, Second Peter? Second Peter, very quickly. We were there a while ago. 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> this time verse 5. So a while ago we learned we have everything needed for the Christian life. So if it's going to happen, Jeff, and it's guaranteed, then do we even need to do anything? And why in the world does the Bible have all these exhortations? Oh yes, there is a part in the Christian life. Watch verse 5. For this very reason, because God's power His divine power has poured this into us. For this very reason, Christian, listen, listen, this is a key part of the text. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Well, Jeff, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm I'm satisfied just to get to go to heaven. I'd kind of like to live my own life now. For this reason, because he's poured his power into you, make every effort to supplement your faith. Don't stop at faith. Add to it virtue, moral excellence. And to your virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control and self-control. Always be adding. Don't stop, Christian. Add steadfastness and to steadfastness. Add to that godliness and godliness. Supplement it with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep reading. Boy, I wish I had time. I'm going to read all the way through verse 15. Try to get the gist. For whoever lacks these, so be diligent, keep doing it, give every effort, make maximum effort. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Well, I I know I was called, and, and I know I fit this category. Do you? Does your life back it up? Be, this is not working for your salvation. He's saying if you really did get saved, be adding to your saving faith. That's just a foundation. Now build on that foundation. For if you practice, back to verse 10, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
For in, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, watch Peter's resolve. He's an old man here. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that, that, that you have. I think it right. Here's a preacher, by the way. Catch this. New Testament preachers are not being legalistic when they fulfill Titus 3.8 and they preach. Be killing sin. Here's what Scripture says. Now, we're not trying to accomplish this to earn our salvation or to keep our salvation, but because we love our God and because we're following the Holy Spirit, here's what sin looks like. Let's be killing this in our life. Let's be doing these good works. Verse 12, Peter says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Translation, I'm about to die. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, John chapter 21. And I will make every effort. Hey, you guys be making every effort. Here he is, an old man. I will make every effort so that even after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Christian, the answer to the question, so if it's going to happen, do we even need to do anything? I'm going to quote MacArthur. He says, even though God has poured his divine power into the believer, the Christian himself is required to make every disciplined effort alongside of what God has done. The Christian life is not without effort. You say, Jeff, what's the plan? You ready? Tune in. Truth needs to be repeated. That's the plan. Truth needs to be repeated. Why? Because we believe lies and we're prone to wonder. A songwriter even wrote that. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Every Christian in here, you know, left yourself, you're kind of prone to wander away from the Lord. What's God's plan? Truth needs to be repeated to combat the lies we believe and to draw us back to Christ. You say, will that work? Write the following note. Because of the life of God in believers, when we hear the truth of God, something in us, the life of God, recognizes it as truth and desires to incorporate that truth into our life. I need to say that again. Because a Christian has the life of God in them, God's plan is to have us repeatedly exposed to His truth. And so Holy Spirit uses our personal study, teaching, preaching, another Christian exhorting us, spiritual things. He uses that. And so here's what happens. A Christian has the life of God in them, and when they hear the truth of God, they recognize it. I've never heard it that way before, but something in me says, that's the truth. I need that in my life. Well, it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. I want that. I bank on that happening week to week in here. Peter rededicates himself and says, I'm going to keep preaching. Listen, Christian, here's what Peter would tell you this morning. If he was an old man about to die, here's what he'd say. Hey, grace for you. Keep living victoriously in the Christian life because you can and you will. You can and you will. You say, it doesn't look like it this past week. Get back up. Go again. You can live victoriously. You will. You say, but there was this one thing that, boy, I really blew it this week. You need to take that to the Lord. Repent of it. Confess. And by God's grace, don't ever do it again. You are going to have victory over that thing. You're in Second Peter. I've, I've got to hit this quickly. Hebrews 10. I'm going to touch it. 
I've got to touch it quickly. Because this gives us the plan. So do we even need to do anything? And what's with all these exhortations in the Scripture if it's going to happen? Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider... Oh, here's a good verse. So hold fast. Don't quit. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Get together and stir each other up. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 encourages believers, calls for believers to be faithful, to meet with God's people. That's the plan. Guys, that's the plan. You say, okay, here's the part of the message where our pastor who admittedly hates tradition just for tradition's sake is going to sound very traditional. I'm going to sound traditional for a second, guys. I've got to hit this. I want to plead with you. Come to God's house on a regular basis. Bring your Bible. Gather with us around the Word of God. Listen. Gather with us around the Word of God. I'm going to tell you. I find that two things often cause God's people, and it's not anything new. The same thing that happened back in Hebrews chapter 10 also happens now in these days, right? So Hebrews chapter number 10 Look at verse number 25. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Two things I find God's people stray. Say, what is it? Here's one. Trouble. Trouble comes in the life. I don't understand this. By the way, I've not had some things happen to me that have happened to some people. I understand that. Listen, I haven't lived a charmed life. I've had some difficult things. But I've, had, I've, I've seen some people have extremely difficult things. And I've watched two kinds of Christians. Here's one. One group has had layer after layer after layer of, of truth built in their life. When life hits them, they don't stray from the house of God. They don't stray from the people of God. They rally and those people rally around them. But others, trouble comes up and they leave. And they go away. And that's sad. I don't understand that. I want to give you the second thing I've noticed. Often people will leave and stray from the house of God, not only over trouble, but over prosperity. Prosperity. And I think our day is unique in this. You you listening? God blesses us, and now because we can, we're gone a lot. So we have 52, actually this year we have 53 Sundays, kind of strange. So we have 53 Sundays, and instead of doing what the Bible calls for, and here's the plan, then often it's like stray, gone away, gone away. Why does prosperity, it's almost this attitude, God's finally blessed us and we're healthy and we have enough wealth. And by the way, please understand, I'm not preaching against vacations, okay? But we can go to Charlotte. 
one weekend. Hey, next week we can go to Charleston. Hey, next week we can go to Chattanooga. This is awesome. All the seas. Uh, next week uh, we're, we're going down to Dillard, or we're going down. We're going up to down to Atlanta, or let's go to Myrtle Beach. And please, I'm not preaching against any of these things. Take your vacations. Here's all I'm saying. It's kind of strange to me that in the dynamic, and I'm not trying to pit the church against family or work or hobbies or whatever it may be. But what a strange thing, it's like out of that list, church seems to sometimes in some people's life fall like fourth, fifth, sixth, if, if. I just want to share my heart. This is not a threat. Please understand, it's not a threat. I'm just making a Bible observation. If you're his and you keep letting God's blessings lead you away from God's house on a regular basis. Oh, by the way, not using time away, work time, vacation time from work to do these things. Always using God's time. I'm going to do that on God's time. And oh, by the way, when it comes between, you know, you know and there's different people here. Some, it's like, everybody knows, my, my hobby, that's my main thing. And others, it's like, my work is my main thing. And others, my family is my main thing. Let me tell you your main thing. Your main thing is your relationship with God. And in that is your work and is your family. Okay? And he gives us hobbies and wonderful things. And those are great. I'm not preaching against those. But when on a regular basis, you let those things just take you away from the house of God. He might just, again, it's not a threat, I promise you. I just want to help you because I love you. He may say, you know what? I need to draw away that job. I'm going to cut the money back. I'm going to take that health. Or I'm going to take, because I love you too much, and there is a plan, and it's going to happen, and you're going to become more and more like Christ, and you being put under the Word of God and in the Word of God, and I need you to be encouraging other people too, and how can you do that if you're gone and here? Well, I don't know, about a 52 weeks. Oh, I'll be there about 20. Don't know if we had everybody here at the same time, we would be setting out some serious chairs. Our preacher got mean today. <laughs> I don't like him anymore. Can I close with a third thought? It's, it's short. It's not, it's not light. It's, it's brief. Romans 8. God's call to justification is personal. God's call to justification is personal. I think we would all love to know this. What if you knew this? All things work together for good. Everybody in here, I want to sign up for that. I want to know all things. Listen, that promise is only for the called. You say, Jeff, here you go back to last week. Listen carefully. God's calling is his foreknowledge and predestination put into action. That's what it is. It's his, for, his, his foreknowledge and predestination put into action. So that foreknowledge and election, that's who. Predestination is just saying, this is going to happen. They are going to become more and more like Christ. What kind of kick starts it? It's a calling. Can we have uh, 2 Thessalonians up? Look at these two verses. Look at these two verses. I think uh, 2 Thessalonians. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief. Remember we talked about that last week. It's almost like every time, not every time, but almost every time the Bible puts us out there on God's sovereignty, it always attaches it to how we do have to put our faith and trust in Christ. But watch verse 14. To this he called you. To this he called you through our gospel. Nine-year-old boy. Ed Yeoman's up preaching. Ed Yeoman's talking. But God's talking to a little nine-year-old boy. 
And then his granddad preaches on Wednesday night. I have no clue what Ernest Bartlett preached on that Wednesday night in June 1979. Ernest is talking, but God's talking to Jeff. Listen, I'm talking to you through him. This is for you. It's personal. It's always personal. How does God call? How do I know if it's the call? I'm going to give you a hint. Here's the hint. You know the calling is starting to happen when people start talking in your presence and you're not a Christian, but they start talking about Jesus. There's your clue. The good news about Jesus. Ed Yeoman was telling about Jesus. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Ernest Bartlett's talking about Jesus, trying to get a bunch of little kids. They have no clue who up there has believed, who out there has believed, who's going to believe. They have no clue. All they're doing, they're inviting everybody. But God was talking kind of back in this section, right around there to a little boy, and I was hearing it. It's personal. I'm closing with this. Romans 10, verse 13. We looked at this two weeks ago. I'm going to give you the same exact close today. Everyone. Say, Jeff, what about foreknowledge and election? Verse 13. I know the Bible says this. Everyone. Oh, somebody here this morning. Somebody this morning, you need this, and I'm not just trying to be sensational. Somebody, you, you are not a Christian. You kind of, kind of like it, it, man, it feels good. But you have not done this yet. I'm telling you what God's Word says. The Bible, and God can't lie, God says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, which means the Lord Jesus, will be saved. How will they call? On Him in whom they've not believed. You'll never call if you don't believe. And how are they to believe in Him in whom they've never heard? You're never going to believe if you've never heard about Jesus. How are they to hear without someone preaching And how are they to preach unless they are sent? I'm going to tell you something. Could it be that God told a little 12-year-old boy, I want you to be a preacher because because in November 5th, 2017, 1982, hey, little kid, yeah, your preacher's talking about being a second mile. Your Uncle Lewis is talking about being a second mile Christian. I'm calling you to preach because I've got somebody on, on November 5th, 2017. I need you to tell them because they don't really know about Jesus. They've heard it. Maybe haven't heard it clearly, but I want you to tell them one more time and this time I'm going to talk through you. I'm going to talk to them. And here's what God says. Hey, if it's you, listen. Listen, God says, I love you. I love you so much I sent my son Jesus to take all your sins and he died for all your sins on a cross. And if you'll call, not even vocally, not with vocal cords, if in your soul and spirit you'll call on my son to save you, I promise I'll save you. He sent me here to tell you that. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Salvation always starts with a call from God on our end. I confess to you, I have no idea who has already believed in Jesus and I have no idea who's going to believe in Him this morning. All I can do, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to invite everyone. But I know that God's special call is when He talks personally to your spirit and summons you to Christ. Literally, it's more than an invitation. Hey, 
our Savior, listen. It's him saying, call on my son. I'm going to save you today. I'm just wondering, is anybody this morning, I'm not being sensational, I'm not trying to trick anybody, I'm just wondering, is anybody right now, literally right now, being summoned by God? So how would I know, Jeff? Do you feel a tug inside and do you hear a voice that would only be God? I'm going to tell you, you are scared. The devil is not telling you to put your faith in Jesus. But if there's a voice saying, hey, listen, you've never done this. I brought you here today to hear how the call is personal. I've already set my sights on you in eternity past before the foundation of the world. You didn't know it. But today's your day. If you're hearing that personal this morning, I want to invite you literally right right, right where you sit. You don't have to come up and shake my hand. You don't have to raise your hand. But if you hear God right now telling you, I sent my son because I love you and his death was enough. Go ahead and confess to me that you're a sinner. You've got to admit it. You admit that you're a sinner. Tell God you're a sinner right now. And then ask God, knowing that he's going to say yes. Say, God, would you give me? Would you give me the righteousness of your son? I need him on the scale with me. God, you promised, you said if anybody, everybody, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm doing it right now. God, this morning, right here at Graceview, right here in this seat. God, I I know you're in this building. I know you know my thoughts. Lord, I'm inviting you right now at this moment. Will you please give me the righteousness of Christ? I receive him. I receive your forgiveness by faith. I'm taking you up on it, Lord. Thank you for saving me.